Spread the fire fam, welcome back to SMWX. And if you're new around here, my name is Dr. Sizwe Mbofu-Walsh. On this channel, SMWX, the Sizwe Mbofu-Walsh experience, we explore South African politics through interviews and analysis. And today, I wanna to take a look at the constitutional court judgment in the very fiery and hotly debated public protector versus President Ramaphosa CR17 investigation case. The Sizwe Mbofu Welsh Experience Podcast. So let me begin by way of background, by just situating what this video is going to do. Now, a few caveats to bear in mind. What I can't do at this stage because it's very early after the judgment has been released is look at every facet of the judgment. So I'm going to be narrowing this analysis to a few facets that I think are of the most importance. And just bear in mind that immediately after judgments, you know, it takes a while to process a judgment. It's a long document. So this is a snap reaction. And I look forward to your comments down below as we, you know, deepen the debate as time goes on and we can do more videos on this. So I'm going to confine this video to a few issues that I think are particularly important. First, the finding on whether the president misled parliament. Second, whether the public protector had jurisdiction or the power to investigate internal party campaigns, which I think is a fascinating and an important debate. Then third, whether the executive member's ethics code is constitutional and what's happening with that and the Amapungane Center for Investigative Journalism submissions. And then I'll end on some implications and ramifications of this judgment. So also just to say that I'm going to leave aside the debate about the remedial action of the public protector because uh, that was, in my view, not the most interesting part of the judgment. Both judgments agreed that the remedial action was defective in some ways, so I won't engage with that. So let's get into the first part of this uh, discussion. And what I want to look at is this question that was before the court and, and where did the court fall on it? The question before the court was, did President Ramaphosa mislead Parliament? Actually, did he willfully mislead Parliament in the responses he gave to Musi Maimane's question when he was DA and leader of the opposition, DA leader and leader of the opposition? When he put a question to President Ramaphosa about a half a million rand payment that allegedly went to his son. And Ramaphosa responded and said, you know, if there's any wrongdoing, etc., go and read the judgment because I don't want to uh, traverse the whole factual background. But we recall that essentially after a long, torturous process in Parliament, President Ramaphosa revealed that the payment was actually to a trust account linked to the CR17 presidential campaign. And then Maimane and Deputy President of the EFF, Floyd Chivambu, um, lodged complaints with the public protector to look into, among other things, whether he actually misled parliament in his responses to parliament. So what did the court find today? 
Well, the majority found that the president did not, according to the law, mislead parliament. Now, if you look at, I think it's section 23A of the Executive Members Ethics Code. This is from memory, but go and check the judgment. It says that no member of the executive may willfully mislead parliament. And that willfully is important because what the Constitutional Court found today was that if you mislead parliament by mistake, for example, if you can't show that there's a motive for your desire to mislead parliament, in other words, if you're actually trying to lie to parliament and there's evidence that you were trying to lie, that's when you have quote unquote misled parliament. But in a nutshell, the court found today that the president did not mislead parliament. Let me know your thoughts down below, what you think about that finding. Um, I find it uh, hard to believe, to be quite honest, uh, because it's based on a number of assumptions. And one of the key assumptions on which it's based is that the president had no knowledge of who was donating to his presidential internal ANC campaign. Now, whether that's right or wrong in law, um, experts in the law of evidence will comment down below. But whether that's right as a matter of fact to any right-thinking person, I think is at the very least controversial. This idea that Cyril Ramaphosa didn't know who was donating to the Cyril Ramaphosa presidential campaign uh, strikes me as an untenable deduction to draw. But that's the deduction that the Constitution, Constitutional Court drew. And in this video, I'm here to try and explain to you what the key findings are. Let's discuss down below and let's move on to the next key finding, which I think it's important for you to appreciate. The Cizwe Mbofu Walsh Experience, SMWX. We're going to look at did the public protector have jurisdiction over internal presidential campaigns like the Ramaphosa CR17 campaign? What did the court find? Well, the question was, does the public protector, a body that looks into wrongdoing in the affairs of the state, have the power to probe not just into governmental affairs, but into the internal private quote unquote campaigns of political parties. That was really the question before the court. What did the court find? Well, the court found that no, the public protector doesn't. So her powers do not extend into the private realm, quote unquote, of political parties, is what the court found. Again, whereas, you know, I think there were great merits to the Zuma judgment, which we've spoken about in uh, a recent video, check that video out too. I find this contention from the court to be rather perplexing. And here's why. In other constitutional judgments, the constitution has been at pains to point out that although political parties have elements of private associations, they also have intensely constitutional elements. And so political parties don't sit easily either as purely private institutions or purely public institutions. They have a special constitutional role. However, in this case, the Constitutional Court was keen to draw a very sharp distinction between political parties as purely private institutions 
and state and governmental institutions. And in this way, in my view, it elided the special place that political parties have in our constitutional architecture, which is right on the knife's edge between public and private institutions. And the reason this is really important is that many people have said that this judgment in this case is about a narrow issue, a narrow issue of whether the public protector had the power to investigate internal party affairs. But that elides a very important assumption on which that finding must be based. That finding is based on an assumption made by the Constitutional Court that political parties are exclusively private institutions. And so if you make the assumption that they're private, then your definition of the public protector's powers rest on the assumption that the public protector can only investigate public institutions. But if, on the other hand, you think political parties have at least important elements of publicity, then the public protector may well have the jurisdiction and the power to inquire into internal party campaigns. So what often happens in constitutional jurisprudence is that a question which resolves a narrow issue actually gives vent to a much wider debate about the very nature of constitutional institutions. And so here, the question in my mind that the finding raises is, is it appropriate and is it a hindrance to accountability if political parties are construed in this very narrow sense of being private associations? When in actual fact, we all know very well that political parties have intensely public functions. And so the question for me remains, and, and this is where I think this judgment may set a dangerous precedent, is that it's all well and good to say that there are private donations to private campaigns. But what happens when those private donations to private campaigns have intensely public consequences and intensely public ramifications? Then the distinction between public and private, which sits right on the at the center, at the bull's eye of where political parties sit, is no longer as obvious. So the question we need to ask ourselves in the fight against corruption, in the fight for transparency, is are political parties purely private organizations whose funding and, and intra-party campaigns should be shielded from public scrutiny and public institutions? I don't think so. I'd love to know your comments and your thoughts down below. Uh, because this has ignited a great debate and uh, I see it's also igniting a great debate on Twitter. By the way, don't forget to use hashtag SMWX on Twitter. The Cizwe Mbofu Walsh Experience. SMWX. Okay, so let's get to the last question which I want to look at, which is what happened with the executive member's ethics code? So to cut a long story short here, there's an act which gives the president the power to create a code by which members of the executive um, are governed, governs their ethics. Yes, you didn't know in South Africa there's a code which governs executive ethics. Well, I guess uh, we, can, we can live in hope that this code will be followed and abided by. But in any case, what uh, one of the parties in this, in this uh, constitutional case 
said, this is the Amapungane uh, submissions, was that if there is no duty to disclose personal campaign contributions for internal party uh, contests, then that's a deficiency within the code and it could be in conflict with the constitution and it needs to be set, set aside. So it was more of a future looking submission to say, well, whatever the case may be with the Ramaphosa campaign, we can't have an ethics code which essentially is blind to this major source of potential political corruption in internal private party campaigns. Here, the Constitutional Court disagreed with the judgment below from the, higher, from the High Court. And it's, the High Court said, no, it, it didn't deal with the Amapungane submissions and effectively said that it wasn't going to enter into this debate about whether the ethics code is constitutional or not. The Constitutional Court essentially said, this is a legitimate debate and we are remanding it or giving it, handing it back to the High Court to look at this narrow issue. So that'll be one to watch, especially for the future, about the extent to which the executive member's ethics code itself uh, allows room for a wide range of disclosures or whether those disclosures are only very narrow. So let's talk a little bit about just some of the implications which flow from this. The Cizwe Mbofu Walsh Experience, SMWX. One is that there's the possibility that I think this may undermine the Political Party Funding Act because we have legislation that I think is very important which says political parties must disclose their funders. But now we have this precedent emerging where if you're a private political campaign inside a party, so let's say Julius Malema running to be leader of the EFF or John Stiernazen running to be leader of the DA or Cyril Ramaphosa running for re-election, those campaigns within the party. Those are granted a greater deal of, of protection from public scrutiny. So what happens when shady donors read this constitutional court judgment and say, oh, I don't need to donate to the party. I'll just donate to a campaign within the party. I'm afraid I'm not sure exactly what happens and this is something we'll need to debate as this judgment percolates, percolates um, over the next weeks. There's no doubt that this will hand Ramaphosa a boost um, and a victory at a time when there are great doubts around the appropriateness at the very least of his private presidential campaign which remains shrouded in secrecy. And remember this judgment wasn't about opening the bank statements. That's another case, the judgment of which we're waiting for. This case was just about whether the public protector's report about the campaign con uh, contributions should be um, reviewed and set aside. And then of course, it's a blow for the public protector. There's no doubt about that. The constitutional court again, both in its minority and its majority, in some parts was scathing about the public protector's report. And so a lot to chew on, a lot to think through. I hope this gave you a sense at least of the fundamentals of this judgment and its importance. Like I say, I'm really keen for your comments. This is a snap reaction, so let's comment down below and hopefully on this channel as the weeks unfold, we'll be able to get into the nitty gritties. Um, I know a lot of you said you want me to talk about the minority judgment in the Zuma contempt case. 
That's an interesting video. I can also talk about the minority judgment in this case and maybe speak to some guests about the implications of these judgments. So hope you enjoyed this. Look forward to your thoughts. Like, share, subscribe, and keep spreading this fire. This channel relies on word of mouth and we are over 20,000 subscribers strong because you keep spreading the fire. So thank you for spreading the fire and let's keep spreading it. Aye. The Caesar and Welsh Experience, experience, experience Podcast. Aye. Aye. Aye.